Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm John Birdsall. How are you, Kirk? I am just dandy. Well, I should say dandy, except baseball is over for 2021 as far as we're concerned. That is a shame. And I watched um, that final game and (laughs) that was um, not pretty, I guess is the way I would put it, but... um, and that is a shame because when boy, when they have a run, it's fun. Yeah, man. It's and I, the you know, they, they were really favored to go much further. And well, the record was ridiculous. Yeah, they had well, an I amazing think, regular season record. Yeah, I think the the consensus is the pitching kind of fell apart. Too much emphasis on the offense this year, or at least postseason. But which is surprising because we had a pretty solid pitching staff. Yep. Yep. Pretty deep, deeper than some other teams. But, uh, hey, did you happen to see the uh, nail biter of a Packers game that we had last weekend? Um, yeah. Not nail biter, <laughs> more like hair pulling outer. Yeah, or, I know. Um, I think I did. I went grayer than I already am, which is hard to do. But, you know, there's <laughs> <laughs> that which was not already gray is now gray. I was. But, um, uh, yeah, I was. You know, how, what are the odds? You know, Mason Crosby, who is the highest scoring Packer, you know, of all time, right? Um, manages that, to that flub. I, I believe it is. Um, wow. Well, think about it. He's, he has to score like every single game, right? Yeah. Um, and wow. I mean, I wonder if, uh, you know, something was wrong with the football or. <laughs> He forgot to bring his uh, good kicking shoes. I don't know, man. Just, <laughs> just uh, had a little too much um, Starbucks that morning. I don't know. Yeah, or but something. Whatever, whatever it is. Hopefully, he just like it's one of those like one-off days where you just get it out of your system and you're all good. Yeah, well, how, how often does somebody miss the miss an extra point? You could go rarely, at least an entire season, probably several before any kicker like misses that easy little chip shot. And that's the first kick that he missed was the uh, extra point. And if he hadn't missed that, they would have won. And then true for every subsequent kick that he missed, they would have won. And then they did win, but, you know, kind of makes you wonder that they deserve to. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't I don't have an answer to any of those questions. Of course, it wasn't just him. True. Um, I don't know, what's the name of the other kicker? I forgot. But um, oh, got- right, 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 right. Yep. He missed what two? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it makes you think there was something going on at the stadium, like whirlwind. I don't know something or other. But or, so or, you know yeah. that I'm also a uh, Bills fan. You know that, right? I I, I assumed given your roots, <laughs> but so um, you know their their opponent last week was playing at uh, what State Farm Stadium, and the meme I, meme I saw going around was. Uh, this guy calling, he goes, hey, I need Jake from State Farm. I need to resort report a total loss. So <laughs> <laughs> this is looking okay for the bills. Anyway, enough of this chit-chat. Uh, we've got legal stuff to talk about. Legal stuff. And, um, legal stuff going on. Legal stuff. And, I, I, you know, we can tell the listening public that uh, in spite of ongoing COVID concerns, and I, I don't know if you know this, John, but in Sheboygan last week we had 10 new deaths. Um, I, that's that. kind of redundant, right? New deaths. I mean, deaths are deaths, right? They don't. <laughs> anyway, so uh, 
you know, we're still kind of a hot spot, at least at least up here, you know. And uh, I don't know how to things what, are. To what up would in you attribute that? I, you know, I don't know. I, I have no idea. And it, it might be there are differences in how um, the schools are uh, imposing mask mandates and not, you know, like our Sheboygan County School District had no mask mandate whatsoever. It was just completely optional. And as there's been a rise, they just adjusted that recently to make it so if uh, I think the latest is if the more than 5% of the student population has active COVID, then they will impose a mask mandate at that point, which they're not at that point. But um, and I don't I'm sure you've heard this, but there have been at least two. And I say at least two, because as of the last time I checked, which was uh, Wednesday earlier this week, two lawsuits that have been filed against school districts, other school districts in the state for uh, the school board failing to impose a mask mandate and a child uh, contracting COVID and being hospitalized. Uh, So (laughs) it's interesting because I think part of what a school board is supposed to do is not only protect the students, but also consider, you know, protecting the county or the city as the case may be, from liability and making proper decisions to prevent people from falling into harm's way that way. But anyway, um, Hey, did you happen to see Ted Nugent testify in, uh, in front of our uh, legislature? In our or legislature? Our le- in Wisconsin. I, yes, sir. This, is, this has escaped me. Please enlighten. S- sweaty uncle Teddy was here in Wisconsin talking about, guess what? Guns. Guns, exactly. So um, he'd be loving his guns, man. He loves his guns like nobody. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny that <laughs> what dude the, who is famous for, for wearing a loincloth on stage and singing what's, what's, songs what's, that are not sufficient for pub- public uh, display or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was funny because I saw him with um, uh, 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 Huckabee. Um, what's oh, yeah. his? Um, he was he plays like, the bass, so he was up playing with Ted Nugent playing sc- Cat Scratch Fever. He's a preacher, mm-hmm. by the way. He's a he's, <laughs> and if you listen to the words of Cat Scratch Fever, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that wouldn't be like church appropriate. But okay, but well, in it depends event, on what church you're talking about, I guess. But you know. in the event, I I'm gonna guess. So I, I didn't hear about this, but I'm gonna guess maybe the um, proposal at issue was the a mandate to issue guns to every newborn child in Wisconsin? Yes, something along and those lines. No, but he was basically talking about the importance of uh, maintaining uh, a strong hunting uh, tradition, you know, which is fine. I don't mind that. But um, say, you, I happen to know that you've become quite a, an outdoorsman recently. So, well, you know. Yeah. In fact, in fact, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's that's uh, not really legal news, but um, uh, but yeah, I I, uh, have a a house in progress. And um, well, as part of clearing the land, they got all these logs there and I'm going to chop them up and have firewood for years to come, hopefully. So, yeah, kind of a, uh, you know, when you're a lawyer. Where do you spend most of your time? In front of your computer, at your desk, <laughs> in court, right? Not exactly Talking, reading or writing. Not exactly Daniel Boone or anything. So <laughs> it's, it's good to be out 
out and about a little bit, I think, you know? Well, I think it's good for people to know that you're not just a nerd. You are a nerd, but you're also, oh. you, you dabble in things outside of the non-nerdy things. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what I was going to say about this whole thing is that we are, um, the courts across the state are really um, in full onslaught mode when it comes to trying to get these cases done. And we have a backlog and I'm seeing quite a variety of responses. But the the one thing in common is that everyone's acting like COVID never happened. And we're, we need to get these cases done immediately. I know we've been talking about this quite a bit, but I've seen an uptick. And I think uh, you saw that the most, I think by the turn of the year, by the time we're going into 2022, is it true that every branch in Milwaukee County will be in person at that point. That's what I've heard. Um, um, I have not heard that, but I will tell you this, that Milwaukee County, and and this will be true in many other counties um, around Wisconsin, has a enormous backlog of cases. And, and um, but, it, but the problem is not just that there's a backlog of cases. The problem is, is that a lot of those are public defender cases, of course, just to give our viewers kind of a context. Um, every year in Wisconsin, there are approximately, um, I believe it's about 160,000 criminal cases are filed, right? And um, probably about 80% of those go to the public defender's office. And the public defender's office has staff attorneys which handle, you know, some portion of that. But 40% of those cases that are assigned to the public defender's office, which, you know, um, uh, they, you know, whatever the numbers are, it's a huge, huge number. 40% of those go to private bar attorneys because that's the system that we have established in Wisconsin. And for years, you know, it worked okay, even though we paid the lawyers very little. That rate, that pay rate has somewhat um, been raised um, from forty dollars an hour to sixty dollars. Excuse me, seventy dollars an hour, just starting in twenty twenty. However, as I predicted, that raise was not going to be enough, right. and so this is what I'm leading up to, which is the vast majority of those cases, not just in Milwaukee, which has thousands of them that they cannot find lawyers for mm -hmm. because, because people are just not taking those cases because they just don't pay enough and they're well, a pain in the rear. I know, I know there's a lot more to it than just that. And we'll pick it's, this up after the break. Cause we have to take one right more now. Our sponsors are knocking on the door. All right. We'll be right back. And we are back with more legal defense. And, you know, when we left, we were talking about, um, well, what, what was, I guess, at least billed somewhat as a COVID-related problem of backlog of cases, but it's really more than that. Um, COVID has something to do with it, uh, obviously and certainly, but um, the truth is, is that uh, the structure of our public defense system, which includes the public defender's office as its main component, um, is, is just not working. And it's in full meltdown in Milwaukee County. And so the suggestion that whatever, maybe it's a rumor or whatever, that all 48 branches are going to be back up and running by the end of the year in Milwaukee County um, 
I'm deeply skeptical of that. Knowing the chief judge uh, in Milwaukee, Mary Trujiano, um, I really, really doubt that she's willing to take that kind of a leap in terms of public safety, in terms of court staff safety and, and deputies and, you know, or inmates for that matter. And um, so I'm deeply skeptical of that. Well, why, why is it then that a county that is barely, um, you know, a stone's throw to the north, that being uh, Oz or Ozaki County, more formally known, they've they never you know did any <laughs> it's like co- they during covid they were still doing things like it was not a big deal um you go there there's no masks uh there's no real you know protection about they don't they don't partition things or anything like that i think the answer- that throughout the state they they all had different responses and they all have different modes or or paces getting back into the rhythm of things and we're still in the middle of a pandemic you know well i think the answer go ahead i think the answer is at least in part if not primarily a reflection of our political divide if you remember early on in the pandemic there was efforts to have statewide uniformity of response and there was huge pushback which had nothing to do with public health. It had everything to do with political posturing. And there was this, um, uh, the dissent, if you will, or the outrage was that, no, local, this should be a local thing. So it's like a, it's like a, um, uh, a, a federalism thing at the state level where we don't want the bid bag, you know, state government telling us locals what to do, even though it's a public health emergency, which knows no boundaries. Right. Um, And, and so places like Oz or others uh, just decided to, you know, plant their flag in the, you know, we're just not, we're going to pretend like this isn't happening or it's all overblown or, you know, um, maybe a middle finger to Tony Evers. I don't know, but Um, well, do you remember very early on, you and I had a discussion about this, and in, I think, in fact, uh, Wachtel, the Wisconsin Association for Defense Lawyers, got involved because there were some judges up in the Northwest Territory, um, one of your favorite places to go, <laughs> up there in like Barron County and that kind of thing. Uh, there were several judges in charge of those counties that were... Uh, sticking to the mantra that this is nothing but the flu and it's a bunch of, um, you know, dem- you know, wimpy Democrats and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you can follow the, the trends that happened after that, the ones, the counties that delayed in taking appropriate measures uh, ended up having their, you know, hotspots that erupted pretty much in conjunction with, you know, it was almost like clockwork. You could time it. And even those little counties, those way up north and way out west counties, uh, had very, very high percentage rates of, um, you know, people that were testing positive because of a well, kind of delayed response. Isn't it very predictable? I mean. Absolutely. I mean, all of this has been extremely predictable. When when you see somebody make a, you know, a less than cautious decision about these things, it results in. Uh, a spike or a surge. That's the well, way it's happened over and over and over again. This, this uh, reminds me of uh, this comic I heard just recently. <clears throat> and she was talking about some bumper stickers she saw. 
on somebody's truck. And it's one said, this was a few years ago. One says Trump 2020. And her joke was, that's optimistic that we're going to have a 2020. That's what there's a joke. But the other bumper sticker said, enough with the science. <laughs> oh, my. Enough with the science. <clears throat> so if you remember, <clears throat> during those years, science was basically mocked. Right. And under attack. And um, I'm not a scientist and I struggle with science because I'm not, you know, um, uh, I don't have the scientific brain cells, I guess. But I, I do well enough to get by. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, have a lot of for it. I have a lot of respect for science. I mean, just come on. We're walking around with this this device in our hands all day long. That's all science. Your car, all science. <laughs> the building you live in, all science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, uh, GPS, um, you know, little science there. You know, my coffee maker is it knows how to turn itself on at 530 a.m. You know, it's science. I mean, um, literally everything we do is a result of some sort of scientific process. And um, and and because it's complicated, I think people reject it because, you know, I guess some people would just rather grasp on to simpler things, I suppose. I don't know. But. Well, anyway, that's 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 part of that's part of the attitude. I think is that you know we got these fancy these fancy pants doctors in air quotes in Washington telling us what to do. Well, you know, don't tread on me, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I understand how if you look at the pendulum of American thought, it's predictable, and I don't mean in a bad way that things tend to go back and forth. And I don't mean just as it relates to conservative versus liberal or Democrat versus Republican, that, you know, the the way that people perceive their liberty has um, continually vacillated back and forth. You know, there's that type of notion that you and I have discussed this many times. You know, there is that version of conservatism that, that espouses law and order, respect for the police, um, trusts the government to, you know, lay down the law and we follow it as good citizens. There's that other version, and I'm not sure we really can call it conservatism, but it's more of a, you know, a subgenre of uh, uh, the new Republican, I suppose, that values um, basically a questioning of authority in a way that all uh, establishment basically becomes suspect. And that sounds like a liberal notion in some ways, you know, <laughs> but, well, uh, always, uh, you know, you've accurately described the two major strains that I would look at it on the, on the conservative um, side of the aisle. And, um, and I've always found those to be incredibly in conflict and yet they seem to march arm in arm, you know, at least in terms of, um, uh, power broking and um, and and voting, um, and, and I've never fully understood that because I agree with you that the pushback against governmental power and the pushback against overreach has been, I think, fairly described. Should be fairly described as kind of a liberal thing, um, and 
you know, a liberal, maybe it's a big L, little progressive. L. Progressive. Progressive, I think, progressive. is one way to put it. Because, you know, you know if you look at one of the democratic ideals, if we can use that word, is utilizing government more than, uh, you know, government having a bigger role in regulation, in um, determining you know, things like foreign policy and things like that, where the, the government leads in a way that the people should trust the government to do the things it's supposed to do versus, you know, small business owners and individuals, families that can make decisions on their own. And basically like we're frontiersmen, you know? So do we live in a world where government works or do we live in a world where government is not to be trusted or, or minimally utilized in our lives. It's, well, it's kind of it's a toss up, you know? Yeah. So this actually is um, reminding me of a fascinating conversation I heard <clears throat> on a um, presentation by the national constitution center. And there was a series of professors as they usually have uh, that have written books. And one of the, one of the books was this uh, history professor from Yale who um, wrote about patriotism and, I think what we'll do is we'll pick this up uh, on our next segment. That's a great idea. All right. We'll be right back. We're back. Hope you survived those commercials like we did. And John, you were right in the middle of waxing poetic. So, Oh, well, I don't know about poetic, but uh, (laughs) as I was saying this, uh, there was this uh, very, very fascinating. And I think a conversation that should be listened to by everyone about patriotism. This book that was written about patriotism and how to um, either define it or um, accept it in an age of extremes. Of course, that's our age. Uh, But if you really look at um, other ages, there's a lot of ages of extremes, including the founding era. Um, uh, You know, and then, of course, the Civil War and, uh, you know, I mean, there's and the civil rights era in the 60s. Um, and what constitutes patriotism? And I think one of the interesting aspects of that conversation was that, and, and this is a conclusion that, you know, people can differ on, uh, but that American patriotism is largely not about, um, like, titles and kings and, and, and you know, that estates and individuals. It's it's. It's supposed to be, it's kind of, it's grounded in an idea and the idea is reason and, and that we, we have a, we have a controlling document and documents. If you include the Declaration of Independence, which you should, um, uh, that are founded on the rejection of, um, a, a, fi- a fidelity to a single person or a single institution. And that it's 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 a that our fidelity needs to be to the rule of law, and it's a it's a term that um, can be easily misinterpreted by, for example, you know, like back the blue people or something. You know, it's like the rule of law, but the rule of law really talks about not vesting power in um, you know single individuals. Or even single institutions, and and I thought the most uh, poignant comment came from this um, this this uh, other professor who's also on the panel that talked about 
um, the need for power. There's a need for power, and that there's also a, there's a there's a need for power to establish just the basics that any um, sovereign nation needs, right? But then there's another you know there's the, another the, aspect to make it to make yeah. it function. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise, literally, just to, just to move you just past anarchy, <laughs> okay. And then the other aspect of um, a successful sovereignty is to have common shared experiences. And so, in the founding era, we had a common shared experience: the rejection of the monarchy, the establishment of, you know, um, a confederation of states on this. Shore, which we eventually turned into a constitutional uh, republic. So, uh, but those folks, interestingly, um, eventually died. <laughs> and so, That's crazy. And and Abraham Lincoln, in one of his first major addresses in I believe eighteen forty two, made a comment and, and a very important um, observation that. Most of the people living in the United States in that year were not around during the founding era. Mm -hmm. The only thing that was keeping us going was the shared idea that we were dedicated to the rule of law and that we were dedicated to the idea of reason, which is the which is the foundation of the rule of law. And um, and if let me let me just interject, because and and I'm agreeing with you 100 percent. There's another angle on this that. Um, really emphasizes why reason is more so much more important to the American ideal than it was to our predecessors. And if you recall what was happening in the late 1700s, England was still a 100% divine monarchy. And the belief as expressed by basically any loyalist at the time, as well as the crazy king himself, was that that power was granted from God, and it came from, you know, the heavens. The Lady of the Lake raised Excalibur and handed it upon the, the monarch. And so the idea that you have a king and then the firstborn or the, the you know, there's a, there's a hierarchy that's being passed down genetically through people. Sure. All divine, had to do with incorporating a religious belief into the government. And that completely, at least in the minds of the founders, not to say that they, they weren't religious or didn't believe in God. Well, uh, Benjamin Franklin was a deist, and deism means you don't know what form God takes. You just acknowledge there must be one, you know, and, and, okay. and not, not basically committing yourself to a particular religious uh, structure, but acknowledging that there's probably a greater being and that you don't understand it because you're a mere human. But the very notion that historically government rule power had been established by bloodlines and all of that was based on a claim that it had been granted, you know, through, through divinely was a, a tremendously important aspect of relying upon reason and the things that we can do. And, and remember, this is an era when people were really just starting to discover the power of human ingenuity in, in, a, in a, a tremendous way. Remember all the inventions that Benjamin Franklin made, um, you know, methods of, um, uh, 
you know, transcribing things, ways, all these mechanical things that he built and just little contraptions. He was like the modern day, uh, at least at the time, uh, Michelangelo, you know, um, people were excited, were interested in having a future that was uniquely American. And <clears throat> I think all of that contributed, you know, we had back then we had an enemy that had a different view and we felt that we were more um, capable in ruling ourselves because we were here in these, you know, colonies and they were over there treating us unfairly from, from, a, from a long distance. And of course, one of the biggest things that interfered with any sense of um, propriety is the fact that colonists were treated differently in terms of taxation, in terms of um, their ability to participate in government and many laws that didn't exist in England were put into place in the colonies in an effort to control people out of fear that they would, you know, uh, come up with their own ideas. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, mixing of uh, notions that created the perfect storm and all it really took, well, it wasn't easy of course, but it took some notion that the time is right to create a nation. That form of patriotism is very different from the one that people identify now well, as being this let's yeah, overthrow the damn government, you know. That is um, um that is true, uh but that's also part of that shared experience of that era. Mm -hmm. Um and 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 shared um conviction that uh that that we had something special here. And we did. You know, and for all the criticism that you can make about the, the presence of slavery in the colonies and certainly in in the young United States, um, even even sort of baking it into the Constitution, all those are legitimate criticisms. And um, uh, but you can't ignore and I don't know, maybe genius is a overused term, but um uh, the certainly remarkable and historical break from that monarchical, mar, monarchical, is that pronounced right? Um, a condition uh, that existed in nation states at the time. Um, it was, it was truly remarkable to even, even with, you know, slavery existing and even with, you know, the, the really horrible treatment of natives, yeah. um, Oh, and, and by the way, I, I am absolutely 100% no defender of slavery by any means that I never no, was. No, 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 no. But when you look at the, the way things worked, slavery was something that was, you know, you have to admit, originated by the Dutch, the English, and the Spanish, um, that, which were the people that were, you know, utilizing slavery to build the new world, so to speak. It was very convenient that when the colonies were in the process of splitting, attempting to split from the uh, Great Britain, that all of a sudden Britain decided it was immoral to have slaves because the, the use of slaves that profited them were only in North America and in the, uh, you know, the West Indies. So, you know, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, now all of a sudden it's a moral issue for us, even though we've been yeah. profiting from it for 500 well, years. Honestly, the, the idea of slavery, not to get too much on a tangent here, but um, was very widespread. And, well, we can pick this up uh, when we come back after these messages. And we are back. 
And not to get off on too much of a tangent, but we were talking about, uh, we, we veered from talking about like the reason that the United <laughs> States was founded on into like uh, an analysis of slavery. But just to tie this off. Um, Is there something in our tea this morning? I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. We're, we're I, both in kind of a crazy mood. I don't know. <laughs> so, but you know, one thing I would just note is that it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the Dutch or the English or even just white people, Indian, many Indian tribes had black slaves, um, which how they ended up obtaining them, I guess, they, <laughs> you know, bought them from slave traders in in white communities, I guess. But that was a very common thing and, and not a, and not something that. Um, they particularly, and, and I'm thinking particularly of the Cherokee in this instance. Um, but, uh, I just always found that a remarkable thing, um, because it was, it was so accepted at the time, but right. And it's well, a horrible thing. Of course it is. But of course, you know, I think it was something that you know, there's no denying that the, the, the growth of both, um, Profits and population in what later became America was, you know, basically based upon the the triangle of trade with Britain and, you know, Jamaica and the West Indies, uh, where it depended and relied upon and was and promoted slavery just because that was the opportunity. Unfortunately, people didn't have a very sophisticated view of human rights at the time. And, um, but also don't forget, I mean, slavery had been, Hey dude, slavery exists right now, you know, today as we're doing this radio show and there's, there's nothing good about it ever. And there never has been, but you'd be an idiot if you don't realize that it's, that there are people that are being held captive in other countries that are being forced to work. Um, without pay and it depending on how you know i'm not going to get too controversial here but there are people in this country that could very well be described as living in conditions of slavery right now well, you know what you could expand that and i know uh, jerry spence is one he was a famed trial lawyer if you don't know who he is but um, mm -hmm. um he describes a lot of people as slaves they're slaves of their corporations, their factories mm -hmm. that they work in. They're they're indentured by the you know the oppressive conditions of their overlords. You know, I mean, you right. could really. I mean, it's not just you know uh, bondage, chattel slavery necessarily. Depending on how you want to define the terms, you know. But right. we've we've gotten a little far afield, but <laughs> yeah, we really have. We've got to go to, like wait, wait, wait you know, this, bring it on back in this rule of law reason foundation, you know, it's, you know, I, I think a lot of people conflate patriotism with saying the pledge of allegiance. So we're, we're, we're pledging allegiance to a flag. Well, no. Um, or even, you know, <clears throat> uh, our national anthem, which a lot of people hate, you know, and want to replace it with maybe God bless America. I think maybe, uh, my country, my country, tis of thee, might be a little bit better, mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, maybe we should. Well, we and should again, have, I, we I should think have Conway using West. things that that make people feel 
like they they the, it gives you a platform to express your I'm not going to say patriotism, but your love of country. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with loving your country. We all do. We all should. Uh, and but there are also things about our country that we should and and need to uh, change. And and on that level, it's built into our American blood from that's given to us from our founding fathers. Mm-hmm. That if there's something you hate about your country, you should say so. You shouldn't well, yell fire in a crowded theater, and you shouldn't engage in an insurrection attempt against the you know the state capital. But you have every right to express, jump up and down, and say whatever you want as long as that, you're not going to hurt anybody or threaten to hurt anybody. That is, that and that's a, the, that's the great thing about our country. That is a remarkable. I mean, historically and currently, that is a remarkable aspect of the United States. It really is. And um, just whatever our flaws, we have the ability to um, jump up and down and protest. And 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 that is and that is baked in. And, and, and you should also note that, you know, we have cherished uh, Bill of Rights um uh, restrictions on the government, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth, the Fifth, you know, all of, all of the amendments that we talk about a lot on the show. Um, but yeah, you, immediately you have to look at and say, those were amendments. Mm-hmm. Those were not part of the Constitution when it was when it was drafted. Well, and that's ratified. a good point. So what, why? Why would they be amendments they rather were, than being part of the Constitution? Well, that was a, because they were not going to get the Constitution passed Um with them attached, but they also weren't going to get it passed unless they made a pact, which they did mostly with Southern states to have this bill of rights. And, um, and, and so you can get it, you can dissect about like which one was, you know, what, why they were so in favor of certain amendments. Like the second amendment was really so that we could have state militias to control slaves, slave populations. But, you know, regardless, um, the point is, is that, and I met, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that the 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 utility of having something being an amendment uh, as opposed to part of the body of the Constitution would be that it could be much more easily repealed. You can't repeal part of the Constitution. You can you'd have to have a new Constitution, I suppose. Well, but, um, no, you can. You know, no, you can um, do an amendment that that takes out part of the Constitution. Well, uh, I, yeah. Can is it as easy though as it is to you can vote on an isolated issue, and like we we have had amendments that were passed and repealed before. You know, true, it's happened. Um, but but um, perhaps it's it's something that uh, you know I've always thought of it as you find where where you go to look for what may be described as like we talked about the last show. Where do you find individual freedoms? Where where are they expressed? Um, they tend to come from a combination of due process and privacy. Where do you find privacy? Mostly in a combination of viewing the amendments, right? I mean, true. I yeah, that the 14th Amendment in particular. And that actually raises an issue about rights because the Constitution largely is not a recitation of affirmative rights. They're a recitation of I guess, negative rights. And that is Mm -hmm. to say that um, you have a right to do X, Y, and Z, you know, peacefully assemble, speech, press, um, gun ownership. You have those rights 
but not because it says you have those rights, because it says that Congress shall make no law prohibiting. Right. Congress can't take them. So can't, can't stop you. And from that seems them. that seems like splitting hairs, but it's not. It's a very important, at least from a legal analysis standpoint, that's a very, very, very important. Well, thing. by the rule of exclusion, then you can say, and, and this is what they do say, if it doesn't say you can't do it, then you can't. Right. So the government is allowed to do lots of things because it specifies what the government cannot do. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is which has led us to so many problematic laws having been passed. Well, and then then you have to look at other aspects of the Constitution, which which may, in fact, be in conflict with. But you're right. I mean, it's it's it tells us what the government cannot do. Well, you know, um, that raises the issue of just courts and interpretation of the Constitution or of statutes, um, which are often written in kind of nebulous language about, you know, reasonableness or something like that. And, and, uh, and why the rule of law is such a central component here, even though the law is subject to the interpretation as seen through your worldview. Um, and that's what makes it kind of a hard thing to get your arms around because it's not as black and white. The people, people, non-lawyers think the law is just like, boom, right, wrong, boom. It's not. It's not even close. It's 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 peppered with you words. Know, I, I look at it like this. Uh, you know, the law is like some dough, and you with that dough you can make a pizza. If you're a pizza fan, you can use that same dough, you know, to make cookies. And it tastes completely different. And it all depends on what you're in the mood for. And you can use the same dough to make, you know, whatever you want. You started with the same fundamental thing. And all you had to do is put your own little spin on it to get to the result that you want. And there you are. You've got either pizza or you've got cookies. How do you like that? That was pretty cool. (laughs) I like that very much. We're going to have a pizza cookie um, show next week, I believe. Um, um, All about pizza and cookies. All right. Oh, which, which, oh, well, we got to go, but um, I'm going to make a um, pizza with cookies on it tonight. Oh, yeah. That, well, that, that would be the best kind of law ever that incorporates everything, and somehow there's no dispute. So, all right. Well, have a good weekend, everybody. This has been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Tune in as you can every week right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. See you later. Have a great weekend.